0: Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate his love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoyed today's message. I have the great privilege today... If you don't know me, my name's Chad and it's great to have you in our house by the great privilege today of continuing on a Bible preaching teaching series that we committed to in the lead up to Christmas called Good News of Great Joy. This comes from a passage that starts the Christmas season when the shepherds are out in their fields nearby watching their sheep at night. You know that phrase, don't you? Which just proves that Christ wasn't born in December because they never spent uh, nights in the field in the middle of winter, but that's another debate. You can talk about that over lunch. Uh, they were out in their fields at night, and then angels came to them, broke a 400 year silence, so some may say, of God speaking from heaven when he said, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy. For all people. For today in the town of Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Go and check him out. You'll find him in a manger. And there's the Gospel of Luke starting a good news announcement heralded from heaven. Good news of great joy for all people. As you continue to read through the next 30 something years of Bible history, that is just one announcement of many. Of good news after good news after good news after good news. And as we see Jesus and his friends emerge, we see not only good announcements, but good activity from them. They're doing good things and saying good things. Doing good things and saying good things. And then it all comes to pieces when Jesus dies. More. But then he rises again. Okay, And then he ascends into heaven and he says, listen, what I've been doing for three whatever years... I'm going to let you continue on. And so this is how the book of Acts begins, with God's people watching Jesus for three years and now essentially replicating what he's been doing, both with their lips and their lifestyle, demonstrating good news, proclaiming or announcing good news and performing acts of good news as empowered by the Holy Spirit. And for my part in this series, I felt challenged to take my good news... Okay, from the announcements in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is, describes the acts of the early church, but it also lists a whole bunch of announcements of the early church. In fact, 25% of that book is sermons or announcements made by the early followers of Jesus. And so in my first week in this series, I looked at Peter's sermon and brought out good news that Peter announced. In the second week, I looked at, starts with an S, Stephen, stoned but delivered an incredible good news sermon in Acts chapter 7. My third chance, I looked at a guy called James, the brother of Jesus, and looked at the good news that he announced today. My fourth and final shot at this series, I come to the Apostle Paul, uh, who delivers, some say, about nine announcements, nine sermons, so to speak, through the book of Acts. About half of them are just simple gospel presentations. This is what Jesus is about This is what the scripture says, this is what is done and Paul preaches the gospel. The other few times where he speaks, he's defending himself in court, okay, because he gets into trouble towards the end of the book of Acts and is brought into councils and he has to defend himself. Well, in tossing up which of these announcements do I speak on today, I've decided to go halfway and use a sermon from Acts 17 where he's both announcing good news and slightly defending or explaining himself to a group of people that say, what the heck are you on about, Jew? What are you on about, Jewish man? Strange Jewish man come to our city. What are you talking about? Because quite frankly, you're saying some stuff that's weirding us out and we want you to explain yourself to us. So if you have your Bible, we're going to turn to Acts chapter 17. We are about 20 years into church history. Um, Paul is uh, basically, he's gone to... Jerusalem, he's got the letter that I spoke about a few weeks ago from James, he's now starting a second trip, Uh, there's a guy from Jerusalem that came with Paul to carry that letter, whose name was Silas, it's a new friend of Paul, Paul found a new mate called Silas, okay, and then they go back to home base and Paul has a Barney with a mate called Barnabas okay Barney had a Barney with Barney a bit of a bit of a disagreement okay and uh, he said okay what I'll do is I won't take Barney on my next trip I'll take this new guy Silas okay and they go and they venture into new parts of the world that they've never been to before they pick up Timothy along the way they end up in a place called Philippi where there's an earthquake in a prison they then come to a city called Thessalonica and Berea where every time Paul preaches people run him out of town the Jewish leaders run him out of town because they can't handle the truth that he is bringing to them and after being driven out of these two cities in Acts 17 Thessalonia and Berea Paul basically gets taken by night to a city called Athens he's left there on his own while his friends he waits for his friends to join him and he's effectively in a bit of a holding pattern there in Athens just waiting for his mates but rather than wasting time there he does what we would all do if we went to Athens he pops onto a tourist bus and he decides to check out the town while he's there, okay? So that's what Paul is doing here in Acts 17 and uh, we'll pick up from verse 16. Here we go. Acts 17, 16. While Paul was waiting for Paul and Sil- uh, 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 Timothy and Silas in Athens, he was greatly distressed because he saw that the city was full of idols So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and god friend Greeks as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who just happen to be there shopping. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what on earth is this babbler trying to say? None of you are going to say that today, let's hope. Others remarked, hold the phone, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Here's Paul coming to the city does what he always does and goes to the people who share a common language and history and culture and religion to him he goes to the Jewish synagogue he's a rabbi of course so he's allowed to speak there he's given an audience there that's fine he also goes on the Facebook, the marketplace and begins posting things to whoever would care to read and to listen to him. And then thirdly, he's brought in to this council with the great thinkers and philosophers of the day. And as they listen to him, they say a very strange thing, which I find really peculiar. They say he seems to be preaching about foreign gods, plural. That's interesting, isn't it? Because Paul's a Jew now a Christian, whatever. And as we know, in the world at this time, one of the unique things that Jews had that almost no other religions had is that they believed in one God. How could they listen to Paul and he give them the impression he's talking about more than one God, these foreign gods, plural. Well, it's possible that because he was talking about Jesus in the resurrection that he might have been mentioning Father, Son and Holy Spirit in his message. Maybe they heard that and they thought oh, these might be the names of foreign gods. There's another bit of a running theory among theologians on this that it says that he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection and some people think maybe they misunderstood him that he was preaching a male god Jesus and a female god called Anastasis which is the fem- a feminine word for resurrection. Maybe he was actually preaching, uh, it's, it's, there's a word for this, dyad. Uh, a, a two God team of Jesus and the resurrection maybe that's what they heard all I know is this sometimes it doesn't matter how clear you are in your communication people can mishear you okay don't take it personally okay it doesn't happen here of course you you guys listen great <laughs> but um, but this is what they, they thought he was preaching foreign gods plural but maybe what the issue here was is that these people were so ingrained in a multi god way of thinking that they could, everything they heard was coloured by that. Uh, the city of Athens, while it was a heavily. Um, academic area Uh, the first university in western history started here the school of plato about 400 years earlier or whatever the great minds of socrates plato aristotle all these guys came out of athens it was one of the greatest cities in the ancient known world at that time and so philosophy was their big thing but as paul noted here and his archaeology also tells us it was full of idols And they were definitely a city that honoured or respected or that demonstrated their allegiance to a multifaceted, um, well, what's it called? Pantheon of gods. Uh, Archaeology tells us that in Athens there were shrines, temples, altars and statues displaying the entire scope of the Greek pantheon. Stone, brass, gold, silver, ivory, marble, tributes both large and small to Athenia. Apollo, Jupiter, Venus, Mercury, Bacchus, Neptune, Diana, the goddess Roma, the emperor Augustus, of course Augustus, the august one was a politician that declared himself to be God. All the gods of the Olympus were on display, formed by the finest sculptors and artists of Greece. In fact, a first century Roman official known as Petonius, listen to this because you'll be tested later on, he was an official with Emperor Nero, and he was quoted as saying this about Athens, he said, Truly our neighbourhood is so well stocked with deities, you will easier meet with a god than a man. All right, you're you're, you're easier to come across a God than you are a human. But there's something else subtle here because in the more literal translations, it doesn't say the city was full of idols. It literally says it was over. Idols were over them. It was under idols. The word there in the Greek uh, is kata idol, basically. And the word kata means up, down. In other words, this was a city, possibly, that wasn't just obsessed with idols, but their obsession became their oppression. Yeah. Yeah. How many of you know that the things that can obsess people can end up oppressing people? Okay, the things that obsession. We we see this with addictions all the time. You name it: alcohol, drugs, pornography, shopping. Okay, <laughs> um, technology. Um, applause from people, okay, the things that we obsess with can end up oppressing us, okay, obsessions can become oppressions and so maybe that's what Paul saw, he saw that the city was under idols and whatever it was, we do know that this greatly distressed him, this greatly distressed him, it stirred his emotions somehow, I wonder what kind of emotion that was stirring in the Apostle Paul. Was Paul fearful? Was Paul going through going, I can't, I can't handle this city. There's so many foreign gods. They're so consuming. I'm scared to be here. I can't feel the Holy Spirit anymore. Was he fearful? Was he maybe pity? Did he experience pity for the people who were oppressed in this area? Did he feel compassion towards people? Was that part of the emotion that he might have felt? One thing that's interesting about the Greek word for therefore greatly distressed is that it's most often translated angered. So most scholars actually say, you know what, he experienced an anger in this area. It's quite possible that one of the things he experienced was this sense of injustice, that all this worship that is going to these gods actually belongs to one God. That same word in the Old Testament, in the Greek Old Testament, is used when God says, to Israel, you've angered me by worshipping other idols. You have stirred my anger. There are many emotions that can motivate us in life. Compassion, fear, a sense of pity. All these things are fine. But it's also okay at times to be motivated by anger. There's things happening with some, of, some people here in this room today. really ticks me off and I'm not angry at you but I've experienced anger at the situation that you're going through because there's something about justice there's something about it's just the right thing that what is happening there is just wrong it's just wrong and I'm not necessarily drawn by uh, it's not the overwhelming feeling may not necessarily be love and compassion but my my feeling may very well be it's just wrong and it needs to be made right. There's something okay with being motivated by a sense of anger when we see that things aren't in line and that might be what Paul's experiencing here as he sees that there is worship that should be going to the one God and was going instead to all the others. Well, talk about that over lunch. I've already said that. Stop it, Chad. Okay, verse 19. The point is, These people then took him and brought into a meeting meeting of the Areopagus, or Areopagus, okay? Basically, Ares, okay, was the god of war in the Greek uh, pantheon, okay? The Greek god of war was Ares. So this was a council named after him. There was about 100 people in a council. They actually met on a hill, so it's kind of like the hill of Ares. Uh, The uh, Roman word for the god of war, anyone know? is Mars, so this is also sometimes people talk about this being Mars Hill, okay, there you go. So it's Mars Hill, the Arepicus. this is the god of war, this is the council of the thinkers of the day, it's almost like the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, the Jewish council, uh, that, that sort of execute and, and sort of discuss issues pertaining to the city. They brought him there where they said this to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? Paul, you were bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we want to know what they mean. After all, all the Athenians and foreigners who live there spent their time doing nothing but talking and listening to the latest ideas. This may be a tongue-in-cheek inserted there by Luke, but I tell you what I see here is I see that Paul, as different as he is to the people he's about to speak to, he knows he has something in common with them. These people are pursuing truth, they've got a hunger for truth and they're also, as we're about to find out, humble enough to admit that they don't know it all and they've got room to learn. Paul stood up in the meeting of the Erepicists and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. But as I walked around and looked carefully, looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Well, you are ignorant of the very thing that you're actually worshipping. But this is what I am going to proclaim to you. This is what I am going to proclaim to you. It's amazing Paul's approach, even though possibly he was angered at the fact that these people are giving all their time, effort, and energy to anything but God. He doesn't come out of the gate and tell them off. He actually compliments them. When, you, when we hear the phrase, you are, I see in every way you are very religious. You can't hear that with an Australian accent. I see in every way you are very religious. You know, He's not being condescending. He's actually complimenting them. He's standing up there as a Jewish man. He, they know he's a religious figure. And he's saying, you know one thing we've got in common? We're both really religious. I can see that you're religious. I can see that this matters to you. And I can see that you're open to acknowledging that you don't know at all. There's actually a God you worship, you claim is unknown. That is common ground we have. You see, if you want to be a good communicator, it's not enough that you know your content. You must also know the people that you're talking to. And Paul wanted them to understand, I get you. I know you. I haven't come in as a tourist and just taken selfies with all your your architecture and idols. He says, I've looked carefully at them. It means that the Greek can be translated, I've thoroughly examined them. How many of you know there's two type of two type of tourists? Whether you go to Europe or you go to a museum or an art gallery, there's those who just walk in, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, be there, take a photo, you know, I've, I've seen that, I've seen that, I've seen that, let's go to the next place. And then there's the slightly mature ones that have plenty of time on their hands and they're like, they're reading all the. All the plaques and wanting to learn all the history, walking around with their earphones on. listening. oh, that's really interesting about that. And with the tour guide, they're there to learn. They want to thoroughly examine everything. That's what Paul was doing. He wanted to understand them. He wanted to understand them. There's something powerful about understanding our culture and, and ex, being able to exegete your culture. be able to understand How people think around you, even if they think differently to you. Paul knew these people thought differently to him. They worshipped idols. And as a Jew, he hated that. He was grown up to believe, you never worship an idol. But he wanted to understand them. He wanted to understand them. And it's okay to see people that reach very different conclusions to us behave in a sense maybe very differently to us there's one thing to do that and then just dismiss them it's another thing to say i actually would really like to understand a few years ago i was in the philippines and the pastors there were doing a conference for pastors and they said i said look what what issues are you guys facing is there anything you want us to speak on and they say we've actually got real problems at the moment with a couple of views That are causing a lot of hassles in the church one was a view called preterism and one was a view called universalism the conclusion of preterism by and large is that Jesus has already come again okay the view of universalism by and large is that every human being on the planet is saved will end up in heaven they just don't know it because Jesus has done it all okay they're the conclusions and they said, this one particularly, universalism, we'd love you to teach on that, Chad. We'd love you to really, really address that. And I said to them, you know what? That conclusion sounds strange to me. I don't, I don't agree with that. But I can't give an hour session to, un, to unpacking that if, I've never, if I don't really understand how they got to that conclusion. Okay? I, I, I just don't feel I'm equipped... I want to, if I'm going to address an issue and say, look, there's a belief going around, I want to be able to get up for the first 20 minutes and say, this is why people believe this. Because it shows that I understand. It's like a good defense attorney knows exactly what the prosecution's going to say. Okay, you need to know where the prosecution's going so you can get in their shoes and then bring them on the journey. This is what Paul is doing. Here in Athens, he's getting, he's walking into their room. He's saying, "Listen, you're a group of religious people. We've got that in common. I understand you. I understand where you're coming from. I understand your heart for worship. I understand that you have, a, you even are happy to admit you don't know it all. You're happy to say there's gods we don't know about. Now that I'm on your side, now that we, I, you can sell I understand you. Let me bring you down the corridor, and show you a room that maybe you've never." Seen before and uh, explained to you the unknown God. And there, are you okay? Yeah. Okay, so that seems to be his approach here. And here comes Paul with this kind of background and he brings them his sermon. This is what I'm going to proclaim to you, he says, the unknown God I will make known to you. The God. Who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life, breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. He marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. He did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, although he's not actually far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. He's quoting there one of their own philosophers. For as some of your own poets have even said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we shouldn't think the divine being is like gold, silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands everyone everywhere to to repent. But he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given evidence or proof of this to everyone by raising him... ...from the dead. And when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. Others said, hmm, interesting. We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers, actually, of Paul and believed. Among them, Dionysus, a member of the Eurepicus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. And after this, Paul left Athens and he made his way to a city called Corinth. And so... The story continues. I have some good news for you today after our little history lesson. God, the unknown God, can be known. God can be known. And that is good news that brings great joy. Time to preach. You know when you prepared and presented 30 to 40 sermons a year for as long as I have, every now and again you come across a passage of scripture that you've kind of looked at before. I've got to tell you not everything I do is original, right? And I've looked through my study notes and I've, over 19 years, and I looked and I've, there's actually been two times that I've looked at this passage, this Mars Hill Sermon in Acts 17. The first was actually 18 years ago, back in 2003, uh, where I had just done, in our first year of church planning, I'd just done a a massive series on the attributes of God. What is God like? It was built basically upon the revelation or the the knowledge of what Jesus said in Matthew 16, where he said, on this rock I will build my church, on the rock of who heaven says God is, basically. Who God is, who Christ is, that's the rock on which the church is built. And so we sort of started our church history talking about who God is. I quoted A.W. Tozer, who said this famously, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He said a low view of God in the church is what is responsible for a low view of God in the earth. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, famous English preacher, in 1855 said, it's been said by someone that the proper study of mankind is man. The famous uh, English poet said that. I will not oppose that idea, but I believe it's equally true that the proper study of God's people is God. The proper study of the Christian is the Godhead himself. The highest science The loftiest nature, the person, the work, the doings of God, the existence of the great God whom he calls his Father. Would you lose your sorrow? Would you drown your cares? Then go and plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in his immensity. And you shall come forth as from a couch of rest refreshed and invigorated. I know nothing which can so comfort the soul or calm the swelling billows of grief and sorrow. So speak peace to the winds of trial as a devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead. I hope Charles Spurgeon got a much better applause than that in his... uh, cathedral on that Sunday and I won't pain you with this today but I listed 17 attributes from Acts 17 of the God that we worship knowing who God is is of utmost importance and we probably finished that day singing indescribable you remember that one indescribable uncontainable The second time I preached on Acts 17 was a few years ago. We were doing a series on the book of Acts, and it just happened to coincide with the weekend that we as a church family farewelled Pat Saunderson. And I used that opportunity to explain how our purpose in life, as was Pat's, something that she demonstrated for all of us, is to know God and to make him known to others. To know the unknown God. And to proclaim the unknown God with both our lips and our lifestyle. With both our message and our character. That it may be said of us, when we pass on, Chad knew God. And he made God known to other people. Today I have three things. I'm going to spend two minutes on each. From this passage that I want to leave you with today. Yeah. Because... I am completely out of my depth in explaining to you who God is. I can't do it. And this one-minute sermon of Paul's, it's it's a one-minute transcript, for goodness sake. It probably went for an hour. Okay, it's a one-minute summary. This one-minute summary is not going to do any justice to the wonder of who God really is. But I want to leave you with good news today and the first thing is this. The unknown God can be known and He is bigger than you think. The God who created the heavens and the earth, established the destinies of man and nations, that Lord God is bigger than you think. One of the things I loved about Paul Tothill's message here last Sunday, as part of this series, because if there's one thing that we need during the storms of life, it's a big view of God. I've needed that. There's one thing when Jesus calls you out on the water and he speaks bigness into you, you need a big view of God. And Caleb shared with us the other week that God had our yesterday, he had our today, and if we have our tomorrow, that message will mean far more to us if we have a big view of God. You can know God. God can be known. But he's much bigger than you think. He is much, much bigger than you may ever know. Secondly, the good news is that God can be known, but he is closer than you think. The God that created the heavens and the earth, Paul says, is the one in whom we live and move and have our being. Is the one who has come near to us. We're going to hear this Christmas season about the eternal God that became a man to become with us. That even like Jonah, if we go through a season where we run from God, we cannot outrun him. He's nearer than you think. He's bigger than you think. And he's nearer than you think and that was made possible thanks to well as, as Jeff revealed a few weeks ago through the opening chapters of Ephesians as he read those great passages that God condescended himself in the glory of his grace poured out forgiveness exception adoption and love to draw us near to himself in Christ God who's bigger than you think is also a God who is nearer than you will ever know The good news today is that God can be known. And thirdly, not only is he bigger than you think, not only is he nearer than you think, but he is holier than you think. So Paul finishes his message, the sort of the last third of this message here, where he says, this God has graciously overlooked certain things, like idolatry in certain contexts, But he commands you to come to him, to change the way you think, to repent. Because this is a holy God who is distinct and set apart from every other God that you have ever heard of. To be holy means to be special, sacred, set apart, unique among others. To be holy means to be other. When we sang this morning, this new song that we've introduced here in this series, Holy, holy, we're singing other other, other, you are just so other, (laughs) you're just so unique, you're just so amazing and that amazingness is pure, it is spotless, it is perfect, God is holy, completely free from error or defilement. Tozer says, holy is the way God is. To be holy, He does not conform to a standard, He is that standard. He is absolutely holy with an infinite, incomprehensible fullness of purity that is incapable of being other than he is. Because he is holy, everything about him is holy. Whatever we think of as belonging to God is holy because that's who he is. God is so other. He is holier than you think. He is bigger than you think. And yet in condescending to us, he has become nearer than you may ever realise. And yet the good news is, while he can never be fully comprehended, he can be known. While he can never be fully comprehended and a one-minute transcript a one-hour sermon, a year that will never do him justice. He can be known. He can be known historically, through the Scripture, as we see the way he's dealt with people. He can be known legally, through Christ, as we can draw near to him with confidence and assurance. But, most impo- well, but also importantly, he can be known experientially, because his Spirit is here. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, foreign gods, Right? can be known by the spirit and so Paul after preaching this message goes to a city called Corinth he ministers there for a year and a half and he would later write back to that church and say this in first Corinthians chapter 2 he would say listen no mind has no eye has seen no ear has heard no mind can ever actually comprehend what God has in store for those who love him however God has revealed it to us by his spirit There are things that can't be seen, can't be heard, can't be known, but God makes them known to us by the Spirit. So you can know what you can never know. You can know what your eyes can never see. You can know what you can never actually hear. You can know what you can never comprehend because God is Spirit and He reveals Himself by the Spirit. What we've received is not the Spirit of this world, he says, but we have received the Spirit from God so that we can understand who God is and what He's actually given us. We will never comprehend God with our eyes, with our ears or with our brain. We will only know Him here by the Spirit. Paul leaves Corinth and he goes to a place called Ephesus. Brooke read out from Ephesians this morning and he writes this back to them later. Years later, he writes to the Ephesian church and he prays for them. And he says this, I pray that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and understanding so that you would know Him better. Better. You see, God can be known, God is known, and God can be known, and God is known, but God can be known, and God is known, and you can be here this morning and you say, I can know God, you can be here this morning and you say, I do know God, I've walked into Him for many years, I know God. My no, sheep know my voice. I know God. And you can be here this morning and say, I want to know God and you're not contradicting yourself. Yeah. I, can, I can know him. I do know him. And I want to know him. Come on, Spurgeons. Give, me a, give God a clap or something. Yeah, you can do that. <clears throat> because he's infinitely above. There's always more to know as you plunge yourself into the sea of the Godhead and I would like to encourage you as we walk into this summer season this might be your last Sunday in church I don't know this might be your first ever <laughs> it's all a bit strange isn't it maybe might be watching to, hi there those watching I'd like to think that you can say today I can know him and that's good news the mysterious one has made himself known He doesn't have to remain a complete mystery. The person you're married to, somebody, it's a bit of a mystery, but not a complete mystery. I still know them, even though there's mystery. I can know. I do know. And I want to know. And I want to know. And that's all I can say. But I would like to pray for you that there is a hunger... In your spirit and a revelation of God to your spirit to know him more to know him intimately to become more acquainted with his greatness to become more familiar with his closeness and to become more aware of his holiness would you let me pray for you it's okay have you been sitting down for so long you've listened so well why don't you you stand why don't you stand (laughs) holy made yourself known to me but I'm hungry Lord to know you intimately to know your voice know your voice you've made yourself known to me but I draw near, I draw near, I'm hungry for more of you, As you draw near, you draw near. Lord, this morning, would you do what only you can do? would you make the reality of Jesus and the love of the Father known to every person in this room you are indescribable and I am completely incapable of letting people know who you are in your fullness (laughs) of even beginning to explain you but Lord God this morning we say we can know you we do know you and we want to know you so Lord as best we know how we open our hearts to the whisperings and the moving of your spirit that the love of the Father the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the sweet friendship and fellowship of Holy Spirit would be with all of us here in this room those behind me, those in front of me today, those alongside of me those listening to this message later Lord would you reveal yourself and give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we would know you better that in this season we would walk with you in a sweetness in an intimacy that would grow in our understanding and our knowledge of you that wherever we're at in our journey with you we would go a step further and I commit myself to that journey as best as I know how To walk with you and to know you all the days of my life open my heart to you now in Jesus name in one sense some of you might say today I actually don't know God Chad those three things you said I can know God, I do know God, I want to know God, actually that middle one I'm not sure about that, I don't think I actually do know God Maybe like these Athenians, I've got a hunger for truth. But maybe today I also can say, I'm humble to say I don't know it all. I want to tell you right now, one of the greatest qualities anyone can embrace is a heart of humility. Christianity, the walk with God begins and ends with humility. It's saying, I don't know everything, I don't have it all together. And I need someone else to help me. If you today have never started a journey walking with Jesus and knowing him, I like you to start that journey today we say around here the abc's of starting a relationship with god is a you just simply acknowledge him god you're real i acknowledge you simple B, believe believe that jesus died for you paid a price so that you can encounter a holy god with without any shame because he paid the price for your rebellion against god paid the price that you would know him and to be able to know him for all eternity that's flipping awesome Jesus died for you and he raised from the dead to be your friend and to bring you to God today. And see, just to be to cooperate with him. To let your mouth say, I acknowledge I don't have it all together. But I begin to trust in Jesus as my boss and my saviour. The one who will rescue me from a destiny of not knowing God. I don't want to go there. I want to know God today. In fact, I'd like to say you need to know God today. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au and of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say g'day. Bye.